guy in the NBA should ever, should ever, have, should ever wear a 23. I've been working on that shot my whole life. And, uh, you know, for that one to go in, you know, that was, that was liberating right there, man. And I'm not, I'm not shoving it aside, you know, like it don't mean anything. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we talking about 23 Shots of JD Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to 23 Shots of JD's new uh, sort of mini-series, 30 and 10. Uh, essentially, we break down 30 NBA teams 10 days before the season. Um, if you're just catching this episode, uh, we have uh, definitely done other teams uh 15 other teams so that means five episodes uh five days prior uh so definitely check it out we did have a great guest craig from rasball.com so that was a very interesting episode we did get to um talk about some college hoops and stuff like that as well on top of just breaking down some great teams so um if you don't see maybe your team has not been broken down yet uh be definitely coming within the uh within uh, a couple of days and stuff like that so uh, yeah, definitely check out for that. But, uh, you know, enough of that. We'll just try and get straight into it. Uh, the first thing we're probably going to break down is the Boston Celtics. So, uh, the Boston Celtics, what can you really say about them? They, uh, you know, for a couple of years have been really in one of those top-tier teams, you know, making the Eastern Conference Finals quite consistently, you can say. And, um, you know, I think coming into last season, you thought there was a lot, a lot of promise, especially with the new signings of... So, with, with the signing of Gordon Haywood. And then on top of that, with uh, trading Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving. So, really had a superstar. Uh, you had a star, two All-Stars, basically. And then, plus, you had Al Horford, who was a former All-Star as well. And, um, you know, you thought you, there was a lot, a lot of promise. And... Um, as you tra- as sort of the season transpires, you could see that there was a lot of promise, but all those all those sort of um, positive things that happened to the Celtics did not come. Also, they did come with some ramifications and stuff like that. So, um, as I mentioned, they signed Gordon Hayward, and he was sort of the big signing for the Celtics. You know, he was sort of the next, obviously, white great hope, I guess, for Boston. You know, um, sort of mirroring that sort of Larry Bird type play. You know, he is from Indiana himself, so. Definitely meant to mimic a type of Larry Bird, you know, esque play. You could say definitely it's not going to be Larry Bird. No one's sort of expecting him to be Larry Bird at all. But definitely, I think his game and what he was able to do at at the uh, Utah Jazz and how he slowly progressed throughout the, his um, tenure there and became sort of like I said an author in the West as well. Might I add, he was an author in the West. So um, you know, he they signed him. He was going to be a really positive impact. He was going to have a really positive impact. And be sort of their main focus at the at the uh, small forward, power forward uh, shooting guard position. He he really can play multiple positions, which is sort of uh, what you can sort of see about him. And I think it's funny though, because like you look at him and you sort of just think, you know, sort of there's all those pictures surrounding him with like that meme where it's like the boy, <laughs> the, the you know, from dad to daddy and stuff like that. It's just like. I got it. It's 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 he he's very memeable. I would say Gordon Harry very memeable, and I guess I guess sort of um, another memeable thing. I don't want to say memeable because it's very very unfortunate, but obviously, as everyone would be aware, Gordon Howard had that horrific injury in the first game of the NBA season against the, against the Cavaliers, uh, where basically his foot was you know pointing west. It was pointing west and. It was probably one of the more disgusting things you you've probably ever seen on a on a uh, on just a, on a sporting field, you know. I've seen, you know, I I watched it live when Anderson Silver broke his leg, and that was disgusting. 
I saw a guy break his arm um, live on a, on a TV show. That was disgusting as well. But definitely what Gordon Hayward had to experience was even more disgusting because there was just so much, like, randomness with it. No one knew what happened. And then when that iconic camera shot of him holding his knee and then you see his foot, like I said, pointing, uh, pointing, no, it was pointing east. Was it? Yeah, sorry, it's pointing east. You're just like, geez, this is, this is terrible. But, you know, it, it it's obviously obviously sucks for the Celtics season because they already started at a at a uh, I guess a disadvantage you could say. Their marquee guy gets injured, or one of their marquee guys gets injured, and it sort of puts a bit of damp on what the Celtics could have done for the rest of the season. And um, you know, as we sort of we get to you know the the season was still a success, but I guess who knows what could have happened if we had a healthy um, All Star level Gordon Hayward playing, but. No, like I mentioned as well, they they traded for Kyrie Irving in that sort of uh, one of those that sort of famous trade of Isaiah Thomas, and as sort of the story has been written, it seems that definitely the Celtics got the better end of the deal. Um, even though Kyrie Irving had some injury issues and injury woes, and that definitely carried over into the postseason where he just wasn't able to play in the playoffs. I think his superstar talent, coupled with his um, championship caliber mentality, really aided in sort of the Celtics. Uh, proving to be or wanting to become one of those top tier um, players in the in the um, in the East, you know, I think I I think Kyrie Irving sort of he's is somewhat un, he's somewhat overrated but underrated at the same time, you know, like people sort of overrate him because you know to say like his you know his stats and stuff don't really convey that of a superstar talent, but I think he's underrated because people look at his stats and say that, you know, look, he only averages this this many points per game, this many assists. Like, when when it was the Isaiah um, Kyrie Irving trade, they kept going like, oh, Isaiah Thomas and Kyrie Irving are really, you know, comparable, you know, irrespective of, you know, obviously their size or whatever, you know, they av- Isaiah Thomas averaged more points and I think they averaged similar assists. So people were going like, oh, Isaiah Thomas is a better player. And I think what's sort of proven to be known now that that was completely a wrong way to look at things and how to view Kyrie Irving. I think even though there were some games where he, averaged only, where he only dropped 18 points and 7 assists, I think what he was able to impact on the plays and his sort of leadership um, capabilities really fostered his team environment that really believed in themselves and really grew um, together. So I think that was an amazing trade for the Celtics and obviously everyone thinks it's an amazing trade. You got a bona fide superstar who's got his own flipping movie, man. This guy's this guy's pulling MJ moves, so you know, that's pretty impressive. Um and we you know they were able to trade for a superstar, they're able to sign a star and at the same time they had the number one pick in the draft and I think there was a lot of conjecture what they were gonna do. Um this was still at the time when they had Isaiah Thomas, so it was like are they going to try and, you know, pick Marco Foles to try and show up maybe a point guard shooting card position? Who knows? Do they go with, uh, you know, a small forward in Jason Tatum or Josh Jackson? Obviously, you know, Lonzo Ball was still in the mix as well. And I think because there was no bona fide star, or no bona fide player that the Celtics wanted, they did sort of the most appropriate move, I think, of the draft. And they moved backwards to the third spot, traded for the, traded with the 76ers, was able to get an extra first-round pick, and then they were able to still pick the guy that they sort of wanted in Jason Tatum, which was, I guess, you know, as, as we can see now, it was an amazing, amazing, amazing pick because Jason Tatum's an absolute animal. This guy's, this guy's an absolute beast, and I think what he was able to showcase in his rookie season, even though he didn't win rookie of the year, was just... The potential of some something special. This guy, 
is just sort of the perfect build for a small forward, power forward position. He can shoot the three really well, put it on the floor. And I think as we sort of um, looked at his sort of maturity throughout the season, he was able to become more of a go-to score, more of a premier player within the, within the sort of Brad Stevens system. And I think that's only going to grow day by day, year by year throughout his career. And he's going to be a fantastic, fantastic player. I think he's going to be one of the... He's sort of, you know, one of the new generation guaranteed All-Stars. I think what he was able to produce last year was a sign of this guy is, I wouldn't say generational talent, but this guy's one of those players that you 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 want, you need, and any team would love to have. And, you know, it seems that the Celtics do just what the Celtics do and were able to get another draft pick, another great draft pick in Jason Tatum. But um, sort of like I alluded to throughout, the, the podcast so far they did make it to the playoffs they did make it to the finals and that was without their two stars as i mentioned without Kyrie irving because of his uh, knee issues and then obviously gordon hayward not being able to uh recover in time with that gruesome leg injury but uh they still made it into, into the finals with a really really core young group and even though i mentioned Tanner at the start as well being one of those um critical people within the team i think two other critical people that we really need to mention as well terry rogier and um and um and oh God, why am I blanking his name? <laughs> um, uh, I'll just say Brown for the moment. I apologize for not remembering your first name. God, I'm such an idiot. But yeah, obviously Terry Regier had to step into the point guard position. Um, a guard from Louisville, sort of you know, sort of similar mold to that Donovan Mitchell. And obviously, I'm just comparing them because they're both from Louisville, but definitely a similar mold. And um, you know, Terry Regier definitely proved to be a really integral part of the team and showed that he's more than just a bench player that he can really lead a team and I think a lot of suitors in the NBA that are looking for a more uh, stable point guard are looking at Terry Rozier as a possible option especially when his sort of contract comes up and that'll be an interesting uh, situation with the uh, with the Celtics that arises and uh, the other player is Jalen Brown I got your name buddy Jalen Brown um, he took another step as well uh, I, I remember in, in his draft just only it would have been three years ago now. Uh, there was a lot of like conjecture about him. Obviously, Ben Simmons and uh, Brandon Ingram were the top two picks and the top two clear picks. But then from from anywhere down there, it was just really a random cluster of people that no one really knew how to pick. Uh, they ended up picking Jalen Brown at the number three position. Uh, you know, people sort of were you know intrigued by the by the pick. Really solid play. You know, from Cal at Berkeley. Um, sort of can play the shooting guard a small forward position. I think. That's the problem as well. People sort of people sort of saw him as a more small forward type um, individual, but with his size is only six six. I think people were a bit wary of that, but and he was able to prove in his rookie season that he was a really solid and comparable player. And then coming into you know his sophomore season, he was able to really showcase that he is a uh, really really top tier talent, a solid solid player. And I think defensively is where he makes he's going to be making most of his money. He's a, he's a dog on the defensive end and. Super athletic, and um, can really, you know, put the ball on the floor and shoot the three point pointer. So he definitely what they were able to build. You know, if you look at the team, you know, at the end of last season, you know, they had Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, Aaron Baines. They had a lot of great players, and doesn't even though the two, I guess, quote unquote, top players weren't able to show up for the playoffs, they were able just to, you know with their team and obviously got to mention the coach Brad Stevens you know obviously got got robbed of coach of the year you know you know that's probably another conversation for another day but you know Brad Stevens and his system is just able to 
just have every player thrive and irrespective of their sort of role or their position in the team, when they need to step up, Brad Stevens expects them to step up and they step up um, accordingly. So, you know, a great season by the Celtics last year and they're definitely going to try and replicate that success coming into this season, hopefully with a full um, list of guys that, you know, hopefully there's just no injuries at all. Um, you know, they did some off-season moves. Uh, they were able to draft Robert Williams from Texas A&M. And uh, at the time, you know, I think people could see it as a potential steal. I think they still see it as a potential steal, even though he showed up late to his own press conference. But, you know, I think he people saw him as, you know, at one point was a top 10 sort of talent, more, moved to a more top 15, top 20, and then he ended up dropping all the way to the late 20s. And, um, you know, he has a potential, he has a lot of potential value. And I think at the center position where I, you know, the Celtics sort of not lacking, but could really shore up and um, improve at. I think Robert Williams is someone that can really develop in the future. And I think he's super athletic, uh, works hard on defense. And I think when he's caught upon, I don't think he will get a lot of rotation minutes uh, coming into this season. But I think when caught upon, he'll definitely try and, you know, do his best and stuff like that. And uh, that's all you can really ask from a rookie player. So, you know, good on him. Um, also, they re-signed uh, Aaron Baines again to try and show up the middle. Aaron Baines somehow added a three-point shot in the playoffs. I don't know when that happened. You know, shout out to the Aussie, but when did he end? It? When did he shoot threes? When did he shoot threes? When when did he when did he shoot threes? It's Brad Stevens, man. He's played and the player development coach at the uh, player development staff at the Celtics is just ridiculous to get Baines shooting threes and um. Also, I think one of the sort of more big things that they were able to do as well was able to keep smart. I think he, he ended up signing his qualifying offer because no real suitors were out there. And I think the Celtics were willing to lose smart, especially because they had Terry Rozier there. But I think what smart brings defensively is ridiculous. Somehow, his plus minus is one of the best on the teams, yet he scores like no points. This, like offensively, he, he sucks. His three-point shot's really, really sporadic. And you know he he can sort of put it on the floor. He's like a he's, he's really like just like a Tony Allen. He's really a Tony Allen type player. So, um, you know we'll see what happens with Smart. I think he'll probably stay with the team and maybe resign somewhere else. Or you know who knows what the Celtics are gonna do with sort of their guard positions because I think they have a lot of money that they want to go to certain places and then they have a lot of money needed in certain places. So, uh, we'll sort of see how that's gonna progress throughout the season. But uh, what should we expect this year? I think. Um, as we'll sort of get through later in the in the in the podcast with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think the pathway is there for them to really push for the finals. I think they have a team that, you know, as they showed last season, the last couple of seasons can make the finals at ease. And obviously, when they came against LeBron James, that sort of um, faltered. But I think with no LeBron James there, I think they've very much are the clear favorites to be in the finals. And a lot of people even having them winning the title, they think they have the team to beat. The Warriors, which I'm not going to say they do. I think the Warriors just have a freak team, and especially when DeMarcus Cousins comes back, I think that changes the whole dynamic of how you should view the Golden State Warriors. But I think, nevertheless, the Celtics should and will make the will make the finals. And I think it's going to be amazing for the growth of their young players, people like Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier, um, Jalen Brown, you know, they have a lot of young, lot of young players. You know, Kyrie Irving's not even that old. Uh, Gordon Hayward, sort of a veteran of the team, is not even that old either. I think they have a really young team that's going to develop and be a really strong force in the East for many years to come. Um, as I mentioned with Hayward, I think this season is going to be sort of his redemption uh, story. 
I think a lot of people said not written him off, written him off, but I think with the rise of you know players like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, people sort of just don't think that the need for Gordon Hayward is really there. I think Gordon Hayward is going to come back. It's definitely going to have a slow start. It's going to be rusty. You know, we've seen it in the preseason that he's really hasn't been fully up to standard, but you know, nevertheless, we'll see. We'll see, you know, throughout the season that Hayward's going to develop, grow, get used to the game again. And I think he's going to really prove that he, that the Celtics need him. I'm going to be honest. I think he's going to prove that the Celtics really need him on the team. And when they play like one of those death liners, when you have Corey Irving, yeah, Brown, um, yeah, Haywood, Tatum, and Horford all, in the, all, all at the same time, that's, that's a deadly combination nonetheless. So, um, definitely. And, like I said, uh, as I sort of mentioned before, Kyrie Irving has a championship caliber. You know, obviously, people, you know, people like Skip Bayless and stuff like that like to say that he he won the Cavaliers a championship. I wouldn't go that far, but he definitely was an integral part of them of the Cavaliers winning their first championship. Um, you know, you know, in a long time and stuff like that. So I think Kyrie can Kyrie Irving take them to the promised land. I think so, but you know, again, we'll see, we'll see, and. Um, I think one thing we should also notice with the Celtics, they have a, a lot of pieces, you know, they still have draft picks, um, you know, they have a lot of young players, like I said, Brandon Rozier, that might be looking to get more money in the future, so, you know, who knows, we could see maybe a big potential trade, um, Anthony Davis, uh, you know, a lot of players, you know, there's a lot of players on the market that maybe the Celtics might want to look to and trade to just to solidify their spot in the finals, so, uh, definitely Celtics is a team that you want to keep an eye on and just uh, make sure that you know look to um, yeah, that was a weird way to sort of end it uh, but I'll, I'll move on to the um, Philadelphia 76ers jeez um, the 76ers what a resurgence I think from a perennial tanking team you know they always want to get less than 20 wins and out of nowhere now the, the, it worked it worked it, it, it's proven that it's it, what they've done has completely worked, um, and that's been through the catal- That's been catalyzed by you know Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Um, ben Simmons winning Rookie of the Year, obviously sort of controversially, I guess, because is he technically a rookie? I don't know. That's sort of debate. I'm an Australian fan, so I'm gonna say he's a rookie because an Australian won Rookie of the Year. He's a rookie, but um, obviously we sort of rise of Ben Simmons and what he what he was able to prove. Um, you know, obviously moving it, moving aside, you know, he's not able to shoot any perimeter shots at all. Besides all of that, he was able to do everything else: rebound the ball, uh, find open teammates, get assists. He was able to even think he he averaged like fifteen points per game without even able to shoot a three point shot. You know, this guy's ridiculous. Like he's insane. He's big. He's a big point guard, and he's just always going to have these mismatch options. I think he's got that type of athleticism that. Um, is really adaptable to you know the um you know to the NBA game. I think you know I guess you know maybe he, him growing up playing AFL and stuff like that maybe fostered his ability to have that type of um pin the ears back mentality and run down the line. But you know Ben Simmons definitely proved to be a really 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 great draft pick. You know obviously a generation talent. He's he's gonna be special. He's gonna be special. I am concerned that he's a bit doing too much media, you know. He, he he was sort of on a world tour run. You know, he had that sort of TV show, I think, that's coming out with LeBron. He's got that beats endorsement and stuff. Like it's sort of, you know, he's maybe the, maybe the maybe the sort of prime high, highlights a bit too much at the moment for him. And I'd, I'd rather him focus purely on basketball. But that's obviously just my opinion as a, as a straight purist. But as I mentioned as well, uh, Joel Embiid, 
having a ridiculous season. I think a lot of people were re- weary of if he could play a full season, and obviously he didn't play a full season, but he played more games than he yet he's ever played before. And, he, and in the games that he played, he was, you know, so influential. It's ridiculous. Like he, when he plays, he's the best. He's, I will say, he's, when he plays, he's the best big man in the game. He, he he cannot be stopped offensively in the block. He can shoot threes. He can pass out. He can rebound. He can defend. He can really do everything. And it's insane to see that someone you know who's had these injury woes for so many years has been able to just to do what he's doing. You know, if you're talking about just game experiences, just he he just doesn't have a lot. And he you know he's already an all star. He, he's you know probably. I guess with Ben Simmons, the face of the franchise, he's just a ridiculous player. Obviously, you know, sort of his social media antics and stuff like that have propelled him more into sort of this, um, into the pop culture, I could say. But I think, you know, he would he would always be he he would always be at this level of sort of um, stardom and fame just for this play alone. He he really is a really special, and he he is a generational talent and. You know, I used that twice, just referencing the seventy sixes, so you could sort of see where their potential lies. But um, like I said, they exceeded initial expectations. Uh, I think people just wanted them to try and make the playoffs, especially in the East. I think they wanted them just to you know scrape into the eighth and seventh seed. But then as the year, as sort of the year progressed, and it and it showed how great this team is, especially with the leadership, with the veteran leadership of um JJ Redick. Um, you know, they have obviously have Roko Covington, solid small forward. Um, another young star I should mention, Dario Sarge, having a bit of you know a bit of a great uh, year. Obviously, rebound you know in his so, sort of uh, sophomore year. I guess again he's sort of technically not a rookie. Oh, no. It's weird these rookie situations. So technically he's a sophomore, but you know I think as people realized the ceiling of this team, they had renewed expectations. I think they wanted them to make the finals. And obviously they got knocked out by the Celtics in the second round, but I think. Definitely something to build upon, considering that this is a team that has not made the playoffs in like six, what I think six, seven years or something like that. Ever since the Drew Holiday, Andre Iguodala days, so definitely a special, sort of special, special season for the Seventy Sixers and a great building block for them to develop themselves in the future. But obviously, with all these positive, positive things that happened with the Seventy Sixers, we can't talk about what happened with Philadelphia without mentioning one of the more prominent stories surrounding them and that's the whole Marco Fultz situation. So um he was he got injured um in summer league if I'm, I'm not mistaken he gets injured in summer league and then for some reason he's just he's still injured. I think it's sort of one of those quiet mystery injuries with his leg. And then somehow at the same time post summer league he starts changing his jump shot and then all these videos um and clips of his jump shot start circulating and it looks like the guy just has been drugged and he doesn't know how to play basketball again. His jump shot looks disgusting, and it's and it was sort of just became the meme. It's just like, man, this guy's a bust without even playing because his jump shot looks like he can. He sort of just it just doesn't look right, and oh, it did not look right. And I think if you're a seventy sixes fan, you'd be super concerned because not only was he injured, but then somehow changes his jump shot and. What he was going to be known for, you know, he he, he they picked him because he could shoot, sort of shoot the three. He could shoot perimeter shots like he did at Washington. And then he could dribble drive, do sort of... A J- he's sort of meant to be a James Harden type. You know, he either goes for layups or he goes for three-point shots. But obviously, if you have a dud, shitty uh, three-point shot, that's definitely not going to happen at all. So, um, you know, that whole Marco Fultz jumper situation was just a complete mystery. And it sort of... 
surrounded the whole Philadelphia season forever. And even though when he came back, you know, he dropped the triple-double and all that stuff, you know, obviously, you know, inflating his stats and all that. Okay, I, I, I see you, Philadelphia. I see you. But obviously, you know, all the sort of drama stuff surrounding him is going to really lead into uh, this season. And um, we've already seen that there's in the preseason and stuff that there is improvements to his, three point, uh, to his form. But, you know, it's, in my opinion, still very suspect to... You know, the the story has not been written on Marco Fultz's jump shot, but um, yeah, it's sort of like uh, you know, like I mentioned, I sort of summarized. You know, the whole process you could call it just really worked, and I think it showed a lot of teams, it showed NBA GMs and stuff like that. Like, geez, this might be the way to go. Just suck for a long time, and just make sure that you could you know get some great draft picks. I think Philadelphia is probably the only team that could do that because they got. They drafted at one of the best times to draft. You know, don't ever get, you know, Ben Simmons' generation talent. I think they get sort of, sort of lucky with Joel B because he got injured and then he he dropped in the draft. So, you know, obviously, I think no one expected this from Joel B, but I think getting Ben Simmons with a big coop, um, then we get the Sarge and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it all worked out. I think, I think, you know, going on with Sarge and, you know, on top of that, Robbie Covington and, you know, JJ Redick, as I mentioned, they were all able to play great, meaningful roles and really influence the team greatly on top of, you know, being sort of a supporting cast, you could say, with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And that's why, you know, sort of this season panned out the way it is and will maybe, you know, look at to develop even further this season. But um, I guess changes in the summer, um, they had a, uh, you know, they drafted, they drafted uh, Mikhail Bridges, and it was sort of the, you know, it was sort of the perfect story. His mum works at, his mum works at uh, the Philadelphia front office and stuff like that. He's from Philadelphia. He went to Villanova. It was just sort of the perfect story, and then that just went neck minute, neck minute. Uh, they trade down, get Zaheer Smith. On top of that, they get an extra first round pick, and um, unfortunately, Zaheer Smith is injured at the moment, so we just don't. Again, is it seems that. Now, how do the 76ers draft picks always get injured? They always are religiously injured. I don't understand this. I just don't understand it. I don't know if this is like the hustle that Philadelphia uses just so that they can sit out a year and get development or whatever, but I don't know. Just, they seem to always draft someone and they get injured. But like I said, they drafted Zaheer Smith uh, from Texas Tech. Uh, super athletic guy. Um, he was sort of you know one of the new faces for Puma as well. So I think he's got, you know, people think he has that, su- uh, that sort of um, type of talent, I guess you could say maybe star talent or something like that, but definitely a super athletic player. I think defensively he'll be good, and I think he'll fill a, a decent role. I think off the he'll, he'll play some rotation minutes. He'll play some rotation minutes. Maybe him and him and Fultz coming off the bench, maybe in the second unit could be could be a, a bit of an issue as well. So I think a decent pick. I think I think Mikel Bridges was more ready to play and more ready to influence the team greatly, but. You know, maybe the Philadelphia 76ers don't see themselves in much of a rush and they're willing to take a flaw on someone like Zaheer Smith who has probably a higher ceiling than Mikel Bridges. Um, but at the moment, it's probably not the same level as Mikel Bridges. So um, Another thing they, they did was re-sign JJ Redick, which I think was a good pickup to do. Uh, so a good thing to do. Obviously, at the shooting guard position, he's, he's, he's a man that you want for three-point shooting, I think. Especially with a team that lacks three-point shooting at the guard position. Fault Simmons included. Um, I think they really needed him. He's, he spreads the floor. He allows, yeah, he, he gives that constant threat and allows, you know, people like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to operate in the paint because there was always that constant feel of, you know, 
someone like JJ Reddick shooting the three and on top of that just some veteran savviness and just experience as well that a young team really needs so he definitely gives everything that you he, he sort of provides everything that the 76ers have missed and considering that he's familiar with the system as well it just sort of all works out perfectly um another big thing that they're able to do as well was trade for Wilson Chandler so I think that's a very underrated move they were able to get Wilson Chandler and sort of build that forward depth that uh, they sort of have been, you know, I guess missing. Um, obviously, you know, when Covington comes off the uh, comes off the field or Sarge, they tend to not be able to have the type of forwards that are going to be conducive to being productive. And I think signing someone like Wilson Chandler, who's at this point you could say very much a veteran type guy, especially in that team, he knows how to score. Um, defensively, he's sound. Is he going to be a person that moves the needle? I wouldn't say so, but I think. Again, he can shoot the three, and he'll, he'll provide another option, you know, for Brett Brown to use. I think he could even have potential to start, you know. Who knows what sort of what lies for Wilson Chandler, but I think, nonetheless, a solid jo- a solid trade, and uh, we'll sort of just see how that's going to progress throughout throughout the season. But um, in addition, they signed the Aussie, Jonah Bolden, another Aussie in the NBA. Let's go. Shout out to, shout out to Jonah Bolden, a guy from in New South Wales, Sydney. I uh, knew some people that even played with him in, in the younger years and stuff like that. Um, you know, in, in, in sort of a uh, unorthodox journey to the NBA. Um, you know, he went to, he played played high school ball at one of the, sort of the premier academies in America. Uh, then he moves on to UCLA for two years and then he just doesn't seem to be working the UCLA system. So then he goes to Europe, uh, plays, uh, plays I think one or two years in Europe then gets drafted. He gets drafted, but then he stays in Europe, and then finally, uh, the 76ers uh, sign him to you know a decent contract. Um, and now, <laughs> excuse me, now he's on the team. So um, just great to see another Aussie in the team. Jonah Bolton is, I think, again going to show up that you know that four position. I think he can even play a four or the five. He can shoot the three decently. Um, what I've seen in the preseason, he's got to work on his free throw shooting, which um. You know, as a given for any sort of young NBA player, you know, free throw shooting is probably not one of the things they focus on, and they realize it's probably one of the more important things that they gotta, you know, get down pat. But, um, yeah, shout out to Jonah Bolden being signed, and you know, if Philadelphia 76ers fans don't really know him, you 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 know him soon. I think he's gonna get really, really, he's gonna be really valuable in the coming in the coming years, and you realize that you know that Aussie connection with Ben Simmons and Jonah Bolden is gonna be gonna be ruthless. So. Shout out to Ben. Shout out to uh, Jonah Bolden, and um, uh, I, 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 I sort of just mentioned the Colangelo saga and him subsequently leave. I don't want to get into it because it's sort of, I don't think it's gonna really affect anything coming coming to the season. But obviously, there's all that drama and stuff like that. So it's unfortunate to hear that. Even though the 76ers have a great season, um, they still have this type of drama surrounding him as well. And um, we mentioned it previously in the podcast a bunch, and you probably read about it all the time. So. Definitely don't want a boy with just reflecting on something that's really been in the media for way too long. But I guess what we should expect from the 76ers, um, I think much like the Celtics, they're going to aim for a finals. But I think, again, you know, mentioning with no Cavs, another team is going to face the Celtics. And I think it's definitely going to be the 76ers. And I think getting that experience of them, of playing them in the second round is going to be valuable because they understand, you know, you're just getting more reps than them playing. The more you play someone, the more you understand their tendencies and the more you're able to adapt and be able to build upon that. And they always say that, you know, you either win or you learn in the NBA. And in regards to that, you know, you obviously either win or you learn because when you lose, you get you able to learn from your mistakes 
and able to learn how they play and how you can um, attack sort of what their weaknesses were throughout the game as well. So definitely expect the 76ers to be fighting for a final spot. Um, I think with their young core, um, they have a lot of potential to be a strong force. I think it's going to be that classic 76ers Celtics rivalry that we've been accustomed to in the in the 70s and 80s and stuff like that. It's great to see a re-emergence sort of that Eastern Conference main main t- mainstream teams, I guess you could say, um, arising. And I think with the future development of obviously, you know, Ben Simmons is going to be better in his second season. Joel Embiid, I don't know if he can get better because he's already in an, at an insane level. Obviously, I think Sarge is going to improve. You know, you get, you're going to get actual con- uh, contributions from Bolts. Obviously, you got Roko. You got now you got Wilson Chandler, who's another forward option. You know, um, so a lot of great players that they were able to grab are going to probably you know be a influential part of the team's development and success in the future. But um, I think they want to prove that they're going to be the best in the East. And I think again, you know, sort of the storyline uh, is sort of paired with the Celtics, and it's really just going to be the Seventy Sixers and the Celtics, in my opinion, throughout the whole season. Who's going to come out in the East? And I think as we see, if if we can see people on the 76ers, like I said, mentioned Marco Fultz have great contribution, I think it's going to go a long ways into trying to defeat that really deep Celtics lineup that they have. But um, I guess sort of reiterating on Fultz, I think it's going to be, again, a redemption year. So, sort of similar to Gordon Haywood. I think he wants to prove people that he was worthy of being a number one pick and that he's not going to be a bust. Um, I think he's, he's shooting, he will also be sort of unconfident in his shot. But I think he'll be able to contribute in other ways. You know, he, he he's a really great passer. He can he can drive into the lane really effectively. Like I mentioned, it was compared to James Harden. You know, he's got he can throw those bows around, try and get fouls and stuff like that. But um, you know, expect expect sort of a redemption season for Marco Fultz. But um, I guess moving in onto a team that we've already mentioned a lot with the Celtics and the Seventy Sixers, and that's the Cavs. And we mentioned them because we sort of mentioned the Cavs not in really a positive light at all because. Um, I guess we do. We sort of go through the whole history of the Cavs up to this point, but basically, review of last year. Um, again, they're going to try and fight for the finals. When you have LeBron James, I think you're always going to be fighting, being in the position to fight for the finals. Um, so they did that, and as I mentioned with the Celtics as well, they had that big trade for Kyrie Irving and IT, and as, as it sort of proved to be, it was a terrible mistake because IT didn't even last the whole season. But at the time, like I mentioned, people thought IT was better than Kyrie. He averaged more points. They averaged the same assist. You know, it, it, he's less injury prone. Like it just there's all these sort of factors relating that IT was better than Kyrie. So obviously, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But you know, it did sort of you know, I think it it I think it was a decision that didn't need to be made immediately, and I think. If, you know, the GM and, and the whole organization of the Cavaliers sort of looked back at it, I think they would have thought that maybe they should have held off, sort of like what maybe the Timberwolves are going to do with Jimmy Butler or whatnot. So definitely, definitely, I guess, uh, just, a, just a poor thing that they did. Um, I guess regular season, they had a really average regular season. Um, and I think that was sort of, I think that was sort of a catalyst for how LeBron was viewing the team, I think. Obviously, you know, there's been this sort of thing about that the uh, that the um, regular season doesn't matter for you know for teams and the NBA and stuff like that. And I think they definitely did cruise control, but they they were really concerned. They lost to some pretty bad teams. Like I think they lost to Orlando. They've lost to Brooklyn Nets and stuff like that. And it's like, geez, you really, you really should be putting these guys away. 
LeBron was playing big minutes as well. He was playing massive minutes. I think he plays. You know, I think he played the most minutes in the league nearly. So, you know, they really needed LeBron to step up there. And they had a pretty mediocre regular season. And um, I think on top of that, there was sort of a lot of rumors surrounding if LeBron's going to leave. Obviously, it was his last year of his contract. And it didn't really look like that the Cavaliers were putting their best foot forward and trying to persuade him to come back, I think. Um, they tried to do a lot of moves to try and, you know, get, I guess, LeBron interested in coming back on the team. You know, they, they traded for Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance. They got George Hill and um, they got Rodney Hood and stuff like that, which um, obviously didn't work out at all. But I guess, you know, that didn't really entice LeBron to leave. And, you know, obviously he left. He just left. He and just left him in the dust, which you could blame them. Who, who can blame him? He left, and sort of the Cavaliers are just going to be sort of in that, you know, weird no-man's land zone, I think. But sort of reviewing again on last year, um, they made the finals nonetheless with the whole drama about if LeBron's going to leave or and the team just not being that good at all. They still made the finals. They got swept. They got destroyed. But maybe they couldn't. Maybe they didn't have to get swept if, you know, that whole infamous J.R. Smith mistake did not happen. Um, you know, obviously now he's in the news again with that whole Supreme leg tattoo, but, you know, JR blew it, I guess. I guess he blew it. Like, it, it, it wasn't bad because, like, it's not like he lost the game. Like, they still made it to overtime. So, they, the Cavaliers had all, you know, they, they still had the potential to win the, win the game nonetheless. But I think you could even tell on LeBron's face that he knew that defeat was, in the, was coming in that. If they were, imagine if they were able to win game one, you know, like that could that could have been sort of a change in changing the dynamics of the of the finals. Who knows? But as we know now, that that didn't happen. Jr. fucked up, and you know now we see LeBron on a different team, basically. So you know, um, and I guess I, I do want to mention sort of the Kardashian curse maybe arose again a little bit. You know, there was the whole Tristan Thompson drama about you know his sex tape and all that stuff, him cheating on his wife, which. You know, obviously didn't seem to affect them because I think they're still together, stronger than ever maybe. Who knows? That's, you know, how the Kardashians roll, I guess. You know, they just, you know, move with the punches. But, you know, I guess it's, you should mention that whole Tristan Thompson drama because he sucked. He sucks so much. The guy's like on a five-year, he was like, what, four years, $70 million or some shit. And he sucks. He can't do anything. He's too short for the center position. He can't, like, do anything offensively. He can rebound a little bit. Defensively, he's okay, like, He's just, it just, it just sucks. I just don't, it just, I don't like him as a player. And um, as I mentioned, with LeBron leaving, uh, even prior to that, it sort of just, sh- it was sort of just Cavaliers fans realized it was the end of the road, and you know, cue the boys to man. They realized that this was their last opportunity, and they they fluffed it. And I think they just accepted that LeBron was going to leave, with, really with no harsh feelings, because he was able to still deliver a championship nonetheless. So um, that sort of leads to sort of what their changes in the off season. Again, it was bye bye LeBron. He moves. He moves to the other side of the country, and um, you know they live with a massive void of just no superstar. Um, uh, they did have that. They did have that. Uh, I think it was the number seven draft pick that you know was sort of floating around there that they might have used to trade to try and entice again LeBron to stay, but they ended up keeping it and uh, picking Colin Sexton. Uh, you know, point guard from Alabama, the young bull, as people like to call him. He. It's super intense player. I love his play. Um, he's a consistent scorer as well. I think he, there was only two times in college where he didn't score over ten points. So he's a consistent scorer. Works hard. Plays hard. Um, and I think he definitely could be a sort of future point guard. 
for for the Cavaliers. I think he's someone that you you might want to build around. I think he sort of has that sort of Terry Rozier type of mentality and game. So you know, I think Colin Sexton has a lot of potential. Maybe he won't be a superstar, but I think he could be a solid player to a star level um, caliber player. So. Definitely Sexton's going to be someone to look to and see how he progresses. I wouldn't be surprised if he, he, he could be sort of a favorite for the rookie, of, or I could, he could, sorry, not favorite, he could be a smoky for the rookie of the year because he'll be get, definitely getting minutes. And, you know, the team's, the team's decent, the, the decent, you know, he's going to be getting some assists and stuff. So, you know, shout out to Sexton, man, the young ball um, legend. Um, I think the big thing that the Cavaliers did in the summer was uh, giving that Kevin Love that big, big extension. And I think that solidified him as being the face of the franchise. And um, people forget, you know, Kevin Love was a beast before he came to the Cavaliers. He was sort of, he was like a twenty and twenty guy with the Timberwolves. And even though it sort of, it sort of looked like it was empty stats top. It was an empty stats type of player because they, you know, they never made the playoffs or whatnot. He still averaged a lot of a lot of points and a lot of rebounds and stuff like that. Like his game, he would he was electric when he was sort of the singular focus and. Um, I you know don't be surprised if we can expect that similar type of Kevin Love to arrive at the Cavaliers, and I think plus on top of the, sort of his finals experience, his winning type of mentality that he was able to build at the Cavaliers, I think that's going to improve him even more because obviously you know the Timberwolves they had a whole history of losing, so it'd be hard to sort of change the whole franchise around and be a make it a history of winning you know so i think him being accustomed to winning and then coupled with sort of what he what he's been able to produce in the past and what he should be able to produce now especially being more fitter more skillful um definitely look at kevin love to sort of have a uh, a renaissance of a season you could say um again he's gonna be the face of the franchise he's gonna be there maybe at least for this year, who knows, you know, maybe there's going to be some trading and stuff like that, you know, I don't know what sort of the direction the Cavaliers want, but, um, you know, at least for this season, um, and it's going to sort of move to me sort of summarizing the Cavaliers, I think they still want to be very competitive, I think they want to be competitive, they still want to fight for the playoffs, um, I don't think obviously they're going to be a top four team, but, you know, who knows, they could sort of scrape into that eighth, seventh position, you know? like I said, they still have Kevin Love, he's a star, a superstar type talent, you know, you got the young ball, you have some great solid players, you know, I think it's it'll be a pivotal year for Rodney Hood, I think Rodney Hood has a lot of questions needing to be asked, and I think if he can produce well at, at, at his position, he's, he's going to go a long way to the Cavaliers being a sort of more playoff uh, viewed team, so... You know, they have a lot of solid players, like I mentioned, Lan- uh, Nance, Clarkson, Hill. Um, just a lot of solid players who, you know, could still probably do do do, do a job on some teams in the Eastern Conference because, you know, the Eastern Conference still sucks ass. So, you know, I think they'll still be competitive. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, even though I'm sort of talking about this. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. So, sort of maybe contradictory, but I think they'll still be very competitive and they're not going to be trying to look for, they're not going to be looking to tank. Maybe if someone gets injured like Kevin Love or even the young bull gets injured, I think they might want to lean towards that way. But I think that nevertheless, they're going to try and fight for the playoffs and try and keep that sustained excellence um, that maybe Dan Dan Gilbert and the Cavs have sort of been accustomed to. But I think it'd be a sort of a testing year for Tyron Lue as well. Um, I think his coaching abilities have been able to be um, how you could, it's sort of hidden because of the right because of the power of LeBron James, and it's going to really show if Tyron Lue is a really good coach or not. Basically, so be a big year for Tyron Lue. Um, like I said, we're going to probably get we're going to probably see vintage Kevin Love, as I like to say, chubby Kevin Love, because that was vintage Kevin Love, the old chubster. Um, I think he'll be back and playing and firing on all cylinders, and 
as I mentioned before, I think Sexton could be a could be a smoker for rookie of the year. If he's, I don't know what the betting odds are, but if he's a, if he's on a sort of good good odds, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if someone might want to take him. I think he definitely could be someone that could be rookie of the year. But um, I finish it there. Um, obviously, you know, I try to sort of mention a lot of Eastern Conference teams, the Celtics, 76ers, and the Cavs, because the Eastern Conference, again, is sort of wide open. You know, the Cavs, uh, sort of LeBron James have been a mainstay there with the Miami Heat and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of room for teams, like I said, the Celtics or the 76ers. And I think, as I mentioned, too, maybe the Bucks or I mentioned before, the Indiana Pacers to really make some moves. So definitely a wide open Eastern Conference, and it'll be interesting to see how the season progresses with these teams that are really fighting for that not only for the number one position for the final, but the Eastern Conference finals and the finals position as well. But, um, you know, besides that, tune in, tune in tomorrow because, again, like I said, it's 30 and 10. We're breaking down 30 teams every day for 10 days before the NBA season. So definitely a new episode before. Um, as I mentioned, we've, I've broken down 15 other teams before, so maybe I broke down your team if you haven't seen. If, if your team wasn't mentioned this episode, I definitely might have broken down your team last episode as well. So... Uh, definitely check that out. But besides that, uh, let you guys go. Bye.